morning. Two things, some a little different. Go ahead and bow your head and close your eyes. <laughs> the wonderful sound of children. Sing with me that chorus again. Great is your faithfulness. Great is your faithfulness. By morning new mercies I see. All I have needed Thy hand hath provided. Great is thy faithfulness, Lord, unto me. You are faithful. When we are faithless, we are never alone. For you are with us even to the end of the age. Christ's name, amen. I forgot to read the text this morning, which is Matthew 28, verses 16 through 20, perhaps a passage many of you are familiar with. Matthew 28, starting in verse 16. But the eleven disciples proceeded to Galilee, to the mountain which Jesus had designated. When they saw him, they worshipped him, but some were doubtful. Jesus came up and spoke to them, saying, All authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you, and lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. You are never alone. I came across an article early this week, and the, kind of the headline or subtitle was, Why are Danes the most happiest people, or the happiest people in the world? Now, Danes are people who live in Denmark, or a person of Danish descent. So, why are they the happiest people on earth. Now, I'm not making this up, so bear with me. There's a gentleman named Mick Wyking, and he is the CEO of the Happiness Research Institute of Copenhagen. That's right, the Research Institute, oh, Happiness Research Institute, and, and there's the website if you want to check it out. Their mission is to inform decision makers of the cause and effect of human happiness, make subjective well-being part of the public policy debate, and improve the overall quality of life for citizens across the world. I did not know such a place even existed. I encourage you, sometime this week, check out the website. But here on planet Earth... We, human beings, have started the Research Institute of Happiness. Why are people happy? Well, 
one reason of many reasons why he says the Danish are happy is because of Hugo. It's spelled H-Y-G-G-E. Huga is how you pronounce it, if I'm getting that right. What is that? That's a sense of comfort, togetherness, and well-being. Uh, King says it this way, quote, It's about being with people we love, a feeling of home, a feeling that we are safe. And in their research, they found out that 78% of Danish people get together with others at least once a week. And that is 18% higher than the average of the West, excuse me, 18% higher of Europe, the rest of Europe. They are happy, he says, one reason, because 78% of them meet at least once a week with other people. That's one of the many reasons why they say they're happy. Now, think about this for a second. I may be drawing a little hard here, but there is joy in community, is there not? We know that. We belong to the community. Now, we, not just Forestburg. I'm talking about Forestburg Baptist Church. There is joy in coming together. With people that we care about, with people love. It's almost like, well, yeah, there was a no-brainer there, I think. And there's joy knowing that we're never going to be alone. That Jesus is always with us. I'm going to keep stressing that in verse 20. Jesus tells them, after the Great Commission, after this great big march in order, he just gave them, he tells them, and I am with you always, even to the end of the age. We are never alone. It seems to me that perhaps in Montague County, we should be one of the happiest places right here in Forest Brook Baptist Church because we meet once a week. We love and care about each other. <laughs> Please say Amen. <laughs> And we should be happy about that. It should be a sense of comfort. Uh, a sense of belonging. And we know we're just a small part of the larger church which is made up of believers around the world. We are not alone. And chasing the rabbit here, the, the one thing the enemy can do, and he does it very well, is getting you isolated and to think you're the only one going through what you're going through. And you'll stop coming maybe once or twice a couple of Sundays. And then you start missing more and more. And before you know it, you've missed three or four months of church, of being with your family. And don't get mad at me. One thing that really tugged at my heart one day is uh, Tammy, I took a new position at work, and she told me, not that I miss going to Forestburg Baptist Church, but you know what she told me? I miss my church family. I miss it. And I want it back. Let's look back at verse 16. But the eleven disciples proceeded, or they traveled to Galilee. Why did they decide to go to Galilee? Well, the answer can be found in verse 10, Matthew 28, 10. Jesus has risen from the grave, and Mary Madeline and the other Mary go to see him, and they have that discourse. He tells them in verse 10, Do not be afraid. Go and take word to my brethren to leave for Galilee. 
and they will see me, and there they will see me. So they're going to Galilee, not because they decided to go there, but that's where Jesus told them to go. Galilee is home. It's also referred to Galilee of the Gentiles back in chapter 4, verse 15. Perhaps, as it was in his life and now in his resurrection, Jesus anticipates the gospel going a lot further than just Judaism. He sees it going out to all the nations. That because of what he's done, God can knock down that dividing wall. What were two now are one, Jews and Gentiles alike. The gospel will go beyond and aren't you glad because we're part of the beyond? We, I don't think we have any Jewish people in here, do we? I think we're all Gentiles. And where do they go? To the mountain which Jesus had designated. Or perhaps there's more happening in that conversation in verse 10 than what we're told about because he didn't say nothing in verse 10 about going to a mountain, but perhaps he communicated that somewhere. We don't know. And their climatic commission takes place not a mountain, nor the hill country. It kind of makes you think back to a famous sermon he once preached called the Sermon on the Mount. Throughout the Gospel of Matthew, you see a mountain being a place of revelation and communion with God. For example, in Matthew chapter 17, verses 1 and 2, six days later, Jesus took with him Peter and James and John, his brother, and let them up on a high mountain by themselves, and he was transfigured before them, and his face shone like the sun, and his garments became white as light. Something about going on a mountain in Matthew's gospel is a place where you could hear from God, you could have communion with God. And aren't we kind of like that today? You like going to the mountains? Getting up high and looking down. What a beautiful view. Do you feel closer to God when you're on the mountain than you're all down in the valley? Yeah. Just, just taking a non-scientific poll here. Nobody really raised their hand. But you see that throughout the Gospel of Matthew. So they go to this mountain and look at verse 17. They, they get there and it says in verse 17, When they saw him, they worshipped him. Some were doubtful. What is that talking about? Their response of worship, we, we can anticipate that. It seems appropriate, but some were doubtful. Was there a different group other than those who worshipped? Was there a larger, a, a larger gathering than just the, the 11 disciples? And what kind of doubt did Matthew have in mind? Well, the word there in Greek is the word testazo. That's the verb, let's use the verb form of that. And that word refers more to hesitation than it does to one being doubtful. So there's a hesitancy on them. And I, you know, being raised as a young Jewish boy, you only worship God and God alone. Maybe that was going in their mind. And now here's Jesus. He's risen from the dead and has validated everything he's been telling them since day one. Maybe some of them were hesitant because how's he going to act towards me? Let's not forget we all scattered like frightened little children when everything went down. What's he going to say to us? So you can imagine, some of them were a little confused. I mean, think about it. They were in the presence of a supernaturally manifested, exalted, holy being. How do you respond when you're in that presence of, of a being like that? 
By the way, you're in his presence now, not physically, but spiritually. We should think about that every time we go into prayer, every time we sing, every time we talk to him, as that we're entering into a presence of a holy, let me phrase that, the holy God. That's the reason I had you close your eyes this morning. Think about God on his throne. So you can understand why some of the disciples, so apparently some of the disciples worship brought away, some a little hesitant. You can understand a little confusion going on here. I mean, they all saw him crucified and brutally beat. They know he was dead. And now he is risen. And all the things he taught you now will come rushing back to your mind of who he is. They were just perhaps a little unsure of how to exactly to react. I mean, let's face it, their background is you had the temple, you had the outer courtyard, you had the inner courtyard, you had the holy place, and you had the holy of holies, which only the high priest entered one time a year. And now you're standing before that being one-on-one. And look what he says to them in verse 18. All authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. Jesus can only make this claim if he is truly God. This is where you have to really stop and think, do I really believe Jesus is who he says he is? To make a statement like that, either he is exactly the son of God, a lunatic, or some wild teacher. Either he is God, the son of God, or he's not. But he is distinct from his heavenly father. That's why the divine passage is used in the grammar. He has been given. Why was he given that authority? Because he's fulfilled the father's plan. He's been exalted. And because of this authority, he has the right to give the marching orders to his followers. And he also has the ability to help them carry out those orders. See, the exaltation of Christ is the result of his life, his death, and his resurrection because he humbled himself. In Philippians chapter 2, verses 9 through 11, he humbled himself, took a form of man. He humbled himself and took a form of a servant. He humbled himself to death, even death on the cross. And then we pick it up in verse 9 of Philippians 2. For this reason also God highly exalted him, and bestowed on him the name which is above every name, so that the name of Jesus every knee will bow, of those who are in heaven and on the earth and under the earth, and that every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. So everybody on planet earth right now has a choice. Either you can humble yourself, kneel down and say, Jesus Christ is Lord. Or you can wait for the day when everybody's going to kneel and confess that reality. The choice is yours. Everybody's going to recognize and give him the praise that he's due one day. Every knee, every tongue is going to confess that he is Lord to the glory of God the Father. And then Verse 19, go therefore, because I've got all this authority has been given to me, go therefore and make disciples of all nations. That is the main command of the Great Commission. Make disciples. 
Don't make converts, don't make church members, but make disciples. Now this does require that many people will have to leave their homelands to take the gospel out. He says, of all nations. So we, we need people to stand up and say, yes, I'll be a missionary. I'll go wherever you want me to go, dear God. I will go and tell others about Jesus. But since the main focus of the command is to make disciples, all believers, let me repeat that, all believers are to duplicate themselves wherever they may be. All believers... I am to duplicate myself. I am to make a disciple because I'm a believer in Christ. Not because I'm a pastor, but because I'm a believer in Christ. I am to make disciples. By what I say and how I live my life. And this requires evangelism that does not stop after someone makes a profession of faith. We've been real good at it, getting people to walk the aisle. And to pray. And to follow into baptism. And they're baptized. But sadly, we've missed the mark because that's where the journey begins, not where it ends. We are to disciple them. Train them. Teach them all that Jesus has commanded. And that does happen here on Wednesday nights at Blast. Sometimes it may not seem like it does, but those kids are hearing the Word of God, and the Word of God does not return void. They're being fed the Word. We are to teach them everything, obey everything that Jesus has commanded. See, the first step in following Jesus is a one-time, once-for-all commitment to Him. You place your profession of faith in Him. You confess and repent of your sin. And you follow in baptism. But that now begins the second step, which is a lifelong process. The big theological word is sanctification. That's becoming more and more like Christ. And the one thing that it requires that all of us hate to do, and if you're honest, you'll say, yes, I hate this too. It means we have to die to ourselves. It's not about what we want anymore. I'm not the one in the driver's seat no more. As the old country song would say, Jesus, take the wheel. Let him call the shots. In everything. I mean, after all, if you're going to trust him with your eternal salvation, don't you going to trust him in the smaller things of life? Where you go, how you spend your money, who you hang around? And it's all nations. It's Jews and Gentiles. God does not turn his back on the Jewish people. He loves the Jewish people. The Jewish people were the people that the Messiah came through to bless all the nations. goes back to the promise to Abraham way back in Genesis chapter 12. Through you, all the nations will be blessed. He carried that promise through. Now, if you read the Old Testament and the New, you're thinking, how's he going to pull this one off? Because he's dealing with people. I'm so glad we have such a loving, patient God. He deals with us. He deals with me. And I was, yeah, it's pretty good. Yeah, that ain't easy to do, is it? I'm talking to my wife, by the way. The thing has changed, though. Instead of going to a priest of the tribe of Levi and asking them to 
intercede for you and cast lots for you and make sacrifices. Instead of on the Day of Atonement, Yom Kippur, you go and you sacrifice and the high priest goes in to the holy place and the Holy of Holies and make sacrifice for the sins of the people. That's all gone now because a better covenant has been established through the shed blood of Christ. Therefore, now you, as a believer in Christ, have access to the most holy place, the very presence of God himself. And by the way, he says, baptizing them. I got to touch on this, just bear with me. That's from the Greek word baptizo. means to deep, to dip repeatedly or submerged. It was often used in secular world of dyeing a fabric. They would take a fabric of some sort. They, they had purple dye, for example. They would dip the garment in there and plunge it in and bring it out, and then the garment would turn purple. In other words, the garment now takes on a property of the dye itself. It's no longer white. It is now purple. That's a perfect representation of baptism. See, baptism does not save you in itself. It's, it's representation of what's taking place in your heart already. But see, when you become a follower of Christ, and the, the Holy Spirit now resides in you, you take on the traits of Christ. Things change. You're not the same person you used to be. You don't think the same way. Some things are automatic. Some things you have to work through. Some things you have to ask for help. That's what community is so important. The goal is becoming more like Christ. Becoming more like Christ. And then the name means declaring allegiance to someone or something. In this case, declaring allegiance to the authority of Jesus. And of course, you see the Trinity here. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. There's unity and plurality in the Godhead. And this is probably perhaps... I won't say the best, but probably the best presentation of a Trinitarian formula, if you will, throughout the entire Gospels. Because he says it very plainly. Baptized in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Three persons of the Godhead, all distinct in what they do, but all united in one mission. Complete fellowship. We are supposed to mirror that. That's what we should do as a church. We, have, we should have that complete, uninterrupted fellowship. All different, all different gifts, coming from all different backgrounds, but united in our single goal of taking the Gospels and doing what? Making disciples. Verse 20, teaching them to observe or obey all that I commanded you. And that's the heart of disciple making. If non-Christians hear the gospel proclaimed, but yet are not challenged to make a decision for Christ, then we must part of that commission somewhere. When I preach, I have to present the gospel, then give people the opportunity and challenge the people, make a decision for Christ. On the flip side, if new converts are not faithfully and lovingly nurtured in the whole counsel of God, then I miss the great commission again, because we are to teach everything. And every time I read the Bible, read the Gospels, read one of the, the letters Paul wrote, or go back in the Old Testament, one of the Genesis, or one of the major or minor prophets, I learn something new. So there has to be a balance of outreach 
an inreach. And it's true of our ministries. We have, should have an inreach, but also an outreach. We have to present the whole counsel of God. I need to preach the whole counsel of God. No matter how difficult it may be. I'll tell you this, there are passages in the Old Testament that I sit down and I read, and I pray, and I read, and I pray, then I open up a commentary, and I can't find one person throughout the whole ages of the church has written one comment about that verse. Like, what, everybody just decide to punt? Because there are some difficult passages. But if you seek him with all your heart, he'll make it clear to you. We need a healthy balance of outreach and inreach. And that's where everyone comes in. You all have spiritual gifts that God's given you. It could be speaking, it could be teaching, it could be evangelism, it could be praying. All sorts of different gifts. And you use that in carrying out the Great Commission through doing outreach, to witnessing to the lost and going out and doing outreach events, or you inreach by teaching a class, Bible study at your home. But all of you have spiritual gifts. In fact, on our website, there is a spiritual gifts inventory. Now, it's man-made. Don't let it pigeonhole you into one thing. But it's a good way to start. We used to have copies right on the back of the table there. I don't know if we still have. you like to have one, let me know. I'll get you one. But you, you have a part to play in building the body of Christ. And this is the best part. Look at the ending. And lo, remember, or as the New Living Translation puts it, be sure of this, I am with you always. So he's telling us, to do this and at the same time telling us it'll be okay because I will be with you. I will be with you. He's given us the helper, the Holy Spirit, the paraclete. You can go back in John verses, uh, chapters 15 and 17. He talks about the ministry of the Holy Spirit, how he'll come alongside and help us. The Holy Spirit is the one who illuminates scriptures for us, giving understanding. Well, Tim, I don't know what to say. Then pray. He'll give you the words to speak. He will. And my favorite one of all, he doesn't equip the call. No, he doesn't call the equipped. He equips the called. He just wants to know if you're going to be faithful to step up and say, yes. This is what I need to do. We are going to reach the end of January 2023 in three days. That's counting today. And as we pray and as we plan for this new year, not quite sure of everything it might bring, all the different challenges and obstacles, and even the good things. We don't, we don't know what tomorrow holds, do we? We don't know what's going to happen five minutes from now. One thing is sure. We're going to move forward in our walk with Christ. Not only corporately, but also as individuals. So we need to be committed to 
becoming more like Christ as individuals and as a church. And when we look at and we think about the Great Commission, that's a daunting task if you stop and think about it. How many people live in Monte County? I have no idea. How many? You know? <laughs> I thought you knew. Who lives? Okay. Look how many people have moved to Texas in the last year alone. And you look at any church survey across the board, they say church attendance plateaued more of it's descended. After COVID, some churches had to close their doors. It's a huge, daunting task. How can we ever carry this thing out? What can we do? But with this command comes a very comforting promise. We will not do it alone because Jesus will be with us. When you're standing on a Wednesday night, teachers, and the kids are yelling and screaming, you can't get them to settle down. You're just ready to quit. Remember, Jesus is with you. Close your eyes. Take a deep breath. Jesus, help me. When you're having a crisis with your family, a loved one's been diagnosed with a a bad disease, or there's been a death, or there's feud in the conflict, cry out to him. He is with you. He is right there. And he cares about you. More than I can articulate in the English language. He cares about you deeply. Don't give up. Keep pressing ahead. We will never be alone. There is never a time or a place that Jesus is not present. For those who hope in him, Hebrews chapter 13 breaks it like this. He will never leave you or forsake you, i.e. he will never turn his back on you. Despite your failures and your successes, he will be with you every step of the way. Look at the Bible. Look at the people in the Bible, what they did. Look at David, a man after God's own heart, he says. A man who committed adultery, committed murder, but yet because of his repentant heart. Now, there was consequences. He couldn't go into promised land. There's some other things we could talk about. But God refers to David as a man after his own heart. I believe it's because he was very, too, very quick to confess and repent and weep before the Lord. You know, as you look at the ending of Matthew, uh, the last verses, verse 20 of chapter 28, I'm with you to the end. It, it makes me think of Matthew chapter 1, verse 23, the beginning of the gospel. What does Matthew 1, 20 say, tell us? Emmanuel, God with us. It's like the, the gospel's bookend by God with us from the beginning and then the end and all in between. God with us. He is here. I promise you that. And he is speaking. I know he is. He's speaking to me now. The question is, are you listening? And the bigger question is, if you hear him, are you going to be obedient to what he's telling you to do? That's the big one. 
If you don't know Christ, you've never given your life to Christ, I challenge you, make a decision today. Don't clean yourself up. Come as you are. He'll clean you up. He'll change you. You'll never be the same. Old things pass away. Everything becomes new. If you've done that, God is calling you to become more like Christ. And perhaps he's, he's pulling you to a, a, maybe a ministry vocation, maybe to be a teacher, maybe to be, hey, I know it's still a long way off. Maybe he's leading you to do something with VBS. And you're maybe be scared to death to teach VBS class, but you know right now God's calling you to do that. Or doing blast. Or just going up to the school one day and having lunch with the kids and with some of our faculty that are here today. You know, it blesses my heart that the principal of the school sit right here before me, third row back. Now, I knew him before he was principal. I heard his man's testimony. Very powerful. I'm glad I can count on my brother, my friend. I don't know Trey very well. I know him better than I do Lindsay. Tritton, uh, we, we, yeah, I know him pretty well. But here's my point. I know if I was against the wall and I needed help, I could call him. He wouldn't preach to me, but he would tell me eventually I messed up. But that, he's not the only one. I have Dial over there. I have Jerry. I have Lee. I have Brian. Many, many more. And you too. David. See, that's what community is about. Do not buy into the lie that you're all alone because you're not. You're not. God is with you. We are your family. We may not see each other all the time, talk to each other on the phone, but we are here. And I'll say this, and we'll have the invitation. Things are going to get worse. I don't know how, I don't know when, but things are going to get worse. Perhaps for the first time in the history of this country, it will mean more than me calling a Bible thumper to be a follower of Christ. We have to make that commitment now. No matter what happens, I will remain faithful to you, dear God, and to my brothers and sisters in Christ. Because when things start to happen and the rubber meets the road, as they say, who can you count on? Who's going to be there? That makes all the difference in the world. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for your promise. Jesus said, you've told us that you're with us always. Despite our failures, or any successes, you're right there beside us. And I know, Father, there's some among us who feel like giving up. They don't think they can do anything or the problems are just so big overwhelming Father remind them who they are and who they belong to Jesus you told us in your word that these things are going to happen that things that we see happening around the world 
Now you, you said in your word that you told us these things so that we could, may have peace in you, that you told us exactly what's going to happen and yeah, we can have peace in you. Father, I pray right now for decisions that are being made. Father, you grant us the wisdom and the courage and the discernment to step out and be obedient to you. For those who are hurting, those who are confused, Father, I pray they will seek you, seek you out. We know you're here. And we know you're talking to us, dear God. And may each of us be obedient to your voice. In your son's name we pray. Amen. Would you stand with me, please?